The following program is a presentation of Grace Communion International and Grace Communion Seminary and is made possible by generous donations from viewers like you. On this episode of You're Included, theologian Dr. Daniel Thamel explains that Jesus Christ won a completed salvation for each of us. Our host is Dr. J. Michael Fizell. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here again. One of the things that you're particularly interested in, or a couple of things, is the theology of John Calvin as well as the theology of Karl Barth. Uh, could you, in a nutshell, even though that's quite a tall order, give us a little comparison between the two? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that Barth, when he... Uh, when he saw the bankruptcy of liberal theology, realized that it had nothing to give to the people. Uh, when he saw Kaiser Wilhelm's aggressive war policies in World War I, uh, returned to the strange new world of the Bible. And he began to discover uh, a, a transcendent God, not a domesticated little house pet that, that liberal theology, he thought, had made him to be. He began to, to rediscover uh, in the writings of, of Calvin and, and th those in the Reformed tradition a tremendous emphasis on grace and, uh, and a, a much higher view of Scripture. Uh, Calvin has a great deal to offer the Christian church because of his strong emphasis on grace. Uh, he has a wonderful uh, discussion uh, in Book 3 of, of the Institutes, Chapter 3, when he talks about uh, the difference between legal and evangelical repentance. And he says legal repentance is basically says that, that if you uh, turn from your sins and if you're sorry enough, if you turn over a new leaf, then God will reward you with salvation. As it happens, this is the kind of teaching that was being presented uh, in the church of Calvin's day uh, before the Reformation, that, uh, that it's our performance, our obedience, our self-reformation that, uh, that uh, merits us or makes us eligible for God's grace. Calvin said, no, that's, uh, that's legal repentance. That's, uh, that's a denial of grace. That's a denial of what God has done in Christ. And he said that uh, a proper answer is uh, evangelical repentance, a repentance, gospel-based repentance, a, a, a lifelong uh, uh, turning from sin and, and growing in Christ uh, through grace that actually repentance is a gift of God. It's not something that we uh, bring up in order to earn or win God's favor. Uh, this is a wonderful emphasis on grace. And uh, Calvin, through much of his theology, is, is very Christ-centered. And he says this is the only way of restoring pure doctrine is, is to, to hold up Christ in, uh, in all that he is. Uh, however, uh, when Calvin comes to his... Uh, to the question of why all don't respond favorably to the gospel. Why, when the gospel is preached, uh, some say yes and others say no. And having already emphasized that it's all by grace, he, he, he said, well, then the answer must be that some uh, were never intended to receive grace. Um, in Calvin's defense, although I, I, I take issue with him there, uh, in Calvin's defense, it was the way he was reading scripture. Uh, he, he thought that Romans 9 through 11, where, uh, where God says, Shall the potter say to the clay, Why hast thou made me thus? I will have mercy mm -hmm. on whom I will have mercy. 
he, he thought that it was scriptural that God, for some mysterious reason, decided from all eternity that he would save A and B and C, but he would not save X, Y, and Z. Uh, and this was not based on anything he would see in their life, any goodness or performance or anything. It was his mere will. When, when Bart read this part of Calvin, he said, uh, he's departed from Christ here. He's not reading uh, the gospel through the lens of Christ anymore. He's departed from his professed Christ-centered aim. And so uh, Bart said a proper uh, a, a doctrine of God's call and even God's predestination is already given us in Ephesians, where Ephesians says we're predestined in Christ. Now, if we have a Christ-centered doctrine of predestination, we don't have a God of a double decree, a God who arbitrarily decides to save some and, and damn others from all eternity, but a God who loves everyone and who sends Christ to die for everyone and, and who who uh, underwrites everyone's responsibilities in the life and cross of his son. Bart represents a significant Christological correction, if you will, of, uh, of John Calvin. There's much to, uh, to appreciate about Calvin. I have to disagree with his understanding of, of election. It, I, I might mention in passing that it's fascinating that, uh, that Calvin did teach that Christ died for the world. If you read his commentary on John 3.16, he says, world means world. The world of all lost sinners. That Christ died for all sinners. And so he, he taught two uh, incompatible doctrines. One, that Christ died for the world. And two, that God never planned to save uh, the non-elect. That he only planned to save a few certain ones by name. Uh, and it was later the the high Calvinists, as they are sometimes called, who tried to resolve that conflict in Calvin's teaching by making him consistent. They revised his theology to say that God only planned to save certain ones, and they're the ones Jesus died for and none other. They were the ones that were the least happy uh, with Bart, with his uh, Christological correction of Calvin. They, they wanted to retain the God of will, the God, of, the God who is pure will and who can do whatever he wants and he, if he only wants to save some they should consider themselves lucky and the rest of them can go to hell because they deserve it anyway. Yeah. And that doesn't reflect the will of God as he's presented in Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ presents a completely different picture of who the Father is and what the Father's will is. Yes, he says he who has seen me has seen the Father. And, and uh, uh, there isn't any other God lurking behind the back of Jesus. The Bible says in, in Hebrews, uh, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our ancestors by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh. He, he is the full revelation of God. We, we don't need to fear that there's some bad news somewhere else. Jesus Christ in his unconditional love for the woman caught in adultery, his forgiveness of her and telling her to sin no more, uh, in his uh, acceptance of a, of, a, of a greedy tax collector, um, showed that, that God is, is a, a God of unconditional love and mercy who, who welcomes every sinner into his embrace to receive his salvation already won for them. So, so Bart represents, to my mind, a significant 
uh, advance on the thinking of Calvin, even though there's much in Calvin that is that is rich and, and I still uh, appreciate and learn from. Now, Bart is sometimes called a universalist. Um, how does that, uh, where does that come from and uh, what, uh, what is it based on? Yes, uh, 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 you often hear that charge. I imagine a person could go Google on the internet or they could go and even read some uh, theological dictionaries and, and learn there that, that Bart's a universalist. And uh, I, I, can, I can say to you with, with full confidence that that is simply not the case. Uh, it's interesting that when, when I was a student at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, uh, I was privileged to take a, a BART seminar taught by none other than Jeffrey Bromley, who uh, was the co-editor of the Church Dogmatics in English, who translated most of its volumes. So he knew a little bit about BART. And uh, I chose for, uh, for my paper in his class uh, the, the topic, Is BART a Universalist? And I went chapter and verse. I looked through all the passages I could find in the dogmatics where he speaks to the subject. It seems clear that Bart was absolutely convinced of a universal atonement. Bart believed that Jesus Christ assumed the humanity of every single human being and that when he died, they died. When he rose, they rose. He really did pay the price and win a, complete, a completed salvation for them. And I think there's something in the human heart that is so used to thinking, well, there's something I need to do. There's a, there's a 5% or a 10% I need to contribute. I mean, yes, Jesus did this wonderful work on the cross, and, and he died for my sins, but, but that's not quite enough. And so very often, in fact, uh, the gospel will be preached by well-meaning evangelists in this way. They'll, they'll describe in moving terms about all that God has done in Jesus, about how how Christ lived a, an absolutely faithful life and an upright life, and he endured the contradiction of sinners and, and was always upright, and that how he died a brutal death and how he died as a substitute for our sins, and, and he has paid it all, they'll say. But then having said, this is what Jesus has done, then they will say, and now this is what you must do. In order to get In order to get in on it that you need to turn from sin, read your Bible, go to church. Now, of course, all of these things are, are, are enjoined upon Christians, but they're not conditions of salvation. It's not as if I have to do certain things in, in order to be worthy of it. Um, I'm included in Christ because 2,000 years before I was born, he lived my life and died my death and rose in triumph. And when he rose, I rose. Now, People who are used to thinking in, in those kind of conditional terms don't understand it when Bart says that it's complete. And so people think, well, if he says it's complete and, and that there's nothing that I have to do in order to earn salvation, then he's a universalist. But that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying that, there's, that, that we can't earn the salvation. It's, it's a completed gift in Christ. But he also says in many places in his dogmatics, in his church dogmatics, that that if we deny the Lord who bought us, if we if we refuse to acknowledge that in Christ God has uh, has done it all, then we can be nailed to that denial for eternity. And so, you, uh, the, the the sinner in hell uh, for Bart is the ultimately insane the ultimate insane person. He's denying reality. He's denying that Christ died for him. 
And, uh, and it isn't that the, the price isn't paid, it's that he's unwilling to accept it. Uh, there is an illustration which has sometimes been used that I think helps clarify what Bart is saying here. Uh, that uh, there, there's, there's, a, there's a, a story that I'm told that is true of a man who was convicted of murder, sentenced to life in prison. And some years later, the governor decided to commute his sentence. And so the governor issued a pardon and said, so-and-so is hereby pardoned for, for his crimes and, and, and may be set free from prison. And this pardon was brought to this prisoner. It was already completed. There was nothing he could do to earn it, win it. His name was already on it. But that prisoner, in fact, refused. He says, no, I've done the crime and I'll do the time. I will not accept this pardon. And legally, he could not be forced to leave that prison, even though the pardon was there for him. Uh, Hill, Hill, Hill is, uh, is a monument to the person who says, my will be done, not thine, O Lord. And so this is really what Bart is saying. And interestingly, after I, uh, after I finished that, that paper and turned it in to Professor Bromley, I, I might add that he wrote a note on that paper that, that it indicated uh, a, a, a careful research of BART typically lacking in studies on the subject. I, I think many people uh, have, have not given BART a fair hearing because they've heard some scare story, oh, he's a universalist. Well, He's not yeah, a universalist. I, I think Cornelius Van Til is, is, comes up, a quote from him, or from Francis Schaeffer, when you do a Google search. Yes. Van Til was, was very warm towards Bart, or maybe we could say hot behind the collar. <laughs> he wrote a book famously titled Christianity and Bartianism, which gives us some idea of how he saw the two standing, uh, even though here's someone who believes in the, in the Trinity, in the Incarnation, in the substitutionary atonement of Christ, and in the inspiration of scriptures. And he's, he's described as being a, someone who's departed completely from Christianity. I think Van Til uh, was so unhappy with Bart's rejection of double predestination and his emphasis on a universal atonement that he, he, he really approached Bart, I, I would have to say, with a, with a closed mind. Even though he had a fine mind, it was closed when it came to Bart. Most of us suffer from that in one way or another from time to time. I oh, think. I, 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 I know. I, I'm, I'm very open to my own ideas. You know? <laughs> uh, scripturally speaking, First John uh, 2, 2, I think, uh, 1 and 2 together, talk about uh, Christ's atonement reaches not just our sins, but the sins of the, of whole, the whole world. world. And then Colossians 1 talks about uh, how in God was in Christ reconciling all things. Yes, yes, and in and, Second and, uh, Corinthians five, God was in Christ reconciling the world uh, to Himself. So and these are completed. words that are not particular. They uh, world. It actually means world. That's right. And it, all things actually means all things. That's right. Whenever you have to add italicized words to a verse in order to make it square with your theology, you're in trouble. <laughs> Whenever you have to say, God so loved the world of the elect that he gave his only son. <laughs> or, and even there, the definition of elect uh, is rooted again in, in Paul in, in Ephesians 1. Right. Christ is the elect. We all are elect in him. That's right. That's right. God loves all of us equally. He cherishes each one of us equally. 
he, as it were, he carries a picture of each of us in his wallet. He, each one of us is dear to God. And, and, and when, when he went to the cross, the, the, the face, all our faces were upon his heart. And he, he, he is overwhelmed with joy. The, the heavens rejoice when one sinner uh, returns to him and receives the salvation already won for him. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a refusal that we're free to, as it were, free to make. Uh, yes, that's like, right. Like the fellow in in prison, uh, he he refuses the pardon. Who can explain that? He likes it better in prison. It 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 works to the way he is better, or something. Yes. But for whatever reason, he refused it. Yes. Uh, there there's a, and I haven't seen maybe the movie. His, maybe his sense of justice. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's that. But I think very often uh, it's a sense of pride, uh, not in a, uh, in, in that you know. Well, uh, I'm not going to uh, kneel before this man and and confess that he did what I could not do. He died my death and he paid the price. I, you know, I'm a dignified person. I don't need to humble myself and accept Christ as Savior. But the Bible talks about someone uh, 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 someone trampling underfoot the covenant. It says, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Paul, having given this wonderful statement of the universal, uh, universal, universally completed atonement, says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And then he says, we beseech you on behalf of God, be reconciled. Yeah. In other words, it. you're already reconciled. The war's over. But you need to be reconciled in your own heart. You need to receive that which is already completed for you. So... To, 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 to declare a, a completed uh, atonement, to say yes when Jesus, hanging from the cross, said it is finished, does not mean uh, universalism. It does not mean that we can just say, well, that's fine, then we can just go our merry way. No, it means that we need to, we're, we're encouraged to believe, to receive, to accept. Uh, the passage, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, I grew up in, in a hearing preached the, at the very opposite of its actual meaning. The idea was, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation in the sense of neglecting to obey the rules and keep the rules that are going to give you this salvation, oh. uh, as opposed to uh, how can we be saved if we neglect the very thing that has already saved us? Right. Yeah, that would be, a, a ter- as you imply, turning that uh, verse on its head because it's talking about this wonderful salvation where God in Christ has done it all. Uh, a, 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 a true salvation, a, a one of grace. Um, Jesus, from, hanging from the cross, said, it is finished. He didn't say, we're almost there. And if they yeah. just do their part, if they just keep enough of the laws... Yeah. He said, it is finished. It's completed. It's far beyond our poor power to add or detract. All we can do is humbly accept it and live a life, as John McLeod Campbell says, of joyful repentance. Well, a lot of times we have, we're, we're given the impression that, that you are saved by grace, uh, and that's the starting point. But then if you want to maintain that position, you need to obey well enough or it'll be taken away from you. You'll lose it. Yeah. Yeah, it's as if, as if God pulls the old switcheroo on us. Yeah, you know, bait, and, bait and switch. Bait and switch. At first, it's all grace. That's the good news. But now here comes the bad news. Now you're on probation for the rest of your life. 
and, yeah. and, and now you, you better do this and you better not do that or else. Uh, my God is consistent. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is consistent. He is always a God of mercy and always a God of grace. And grace is not just the, the beginning point of the Christian life. It's, it's the, the continuing basis and foundation for our life in Christ. The Christian life is not a basis, it's not based in uh, my attitudes or my actions. It's based in the life of Christ. Um, the Bible again and again describes a Christian as one who is in Christ. Um, Paul says, if a man is in Christ, he's a new creation. He says, uh, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. I'm hidden with Jesus. Paul says, I'm seated in the heavenlies with, with, uh, with Jesus in Ephesians 1. Uh, he's given us every blessing in Christ. And, uh, and, and, and so my life in God is grounded in Christ. He's the basis for my acceptance before the Father, not my performance. In fact, this was the Galatian heresy, that, that in fact you begin in grace and then you maintain it by works. Uh, now, this is not to say that, in fact, works don't matter. It's not to say that obedience doesn't matter, that living a godly life, doing the will of God is irrelevant. It's to say that it's not a basis for, for uh, keeping your salvation. So how does that work together then? I, I think that the answer to that lies in, in Christ. That he, uh, when, when, uh, when 1 Corinthians 1.30 says he is our sanctification, now that's an interesting statement. Because uh, the other point of view that you mentioned would have to deny that, would have to say, no, no, I'm my sanctification. Jesus does justification. He's the one who gets me right with God, and then I do the sanctification. I make myself holy. I make myself good enough. I keep myself in salvation. And we even use the, ter- use the Holy Spirit in that mix by saying, well, the Holy Spirit leads us, but if we don't follow, then we don't have sanctification. Yeah, I, I think... If, if again, if we understand that, that that Christ is our righteousness and He's our sanctification, I think this helps us. In other words, when when I come to God in Christ, I'm accepted for who I am in Christ, not for who I am in Dan Thamel, not because I've been so good or so worthy or so earnest or so consistent. But what I had to offer Him, as Bill Gaither said, was brokenness and strife, and uh, and He accepted that. But I'm accepted for who I am in Christ. In Christ, um, I am, I'm accepted by the Father. In Christ, um, I, am, I stand holy before the Father. I stand pure before the Father in his humanity. Now, justification then, sometimes we're told it's just as if I'd never sinned. A better definition is to be justified is to be accepted for who I am in Christ. Because I was there in him. He, my humanity was carried by him throughout his life and in his death on the cross. Now, I, I, I got this from James Torrance, and I am un, unashamedly uh, using that as, as a central point of my own belief. Uh, to be justified is to be accepted for who I am in Christ, and then to be sanctified is what? It's to become who I am in Christ. So the amazing good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is your future because he's your past. I, my whole life is enclosed in Christ. I, I'm hidden with Christ in God. 
So I, I'm not tremblingly tiptoeing on the precipice every day of my Christian life. I'm rather living joyfully in Christ, realizing that sometimes I let him down. Sometimes I, I struggle with the same old sins. Sometimes I look inside me and see ugly attitudes. Sometimes I say hurtful things. Sometimes I, I'm not as faithful as I ought to be to my calling. But when, when we are faithless, he is faithful, Paul says, for he cannot deny himself. You see, I'm included in him. And so he's faithful. And I, 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 I believe that one day I'll stand before the Father and he will throw his arms around me and say, well done, good and faithful servant, because my life is included in Jesus. So when Paul says that this new life is hidden uh, in Christ, he means what he says. It's, it's hidden even from us. Most of the time, we don't even see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it reminds me of the passage that also Paul mentions. We, we look in the mirror, and it's as though we see uh, a poor reflection. Yes. Uh, we don't see who we really are in Christ. We see what you were just describing, the person who falls short, the person who is weak, the person who doesn't measure up. Mm-hmm. But Scripture assures us Christ yes. has already made us new, and that new person is hidden in Christ waiting to be revealed at the time when we see him face to face. Yes. And we see ourselves really as he's made us to be in him face to face for the first time. That's right. If we want to see who we are in Christ, we need to look at Christ. The mistake is we look at ourselves and then we get discouraged. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. We're always tempted to walk by sight. And we look in that mirror and we look a little too closely in that mirror and we get depressed and we get discouraged and Satan whispers in our ear, you're not worthy of the gospel. You're not worthy of being a minister. You're not worthy of being a Christian. And of course, we're not worthy. (laughs) And when the prodigal son comes home to the father and says, I'm no more worthy to be called your son, uh, the father is saying in effect, whoever said this was about worthiness, you never were worthy, but you're my boy and I love you. I've always loved you and, and my forgiveness is here for you. So we don't walk by, by sight, but by faith in Christ. And, and, and I think that is the secret for living the Christian life, is to abide in Christ, to look in Christ, to gaze upon Christ, to live our lives out of the resources we have in Christ. And so Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It may not look like it, but I am. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yes, I do live. It's a vital, vibrant uh, life. But the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by His faith. And and He loved me and He gave Himself for me. I'm His. You've been watching You're Included. A production of Grace Communion International.